Chapter six of Lancashire Characters and Places by Thomas Newbigging. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. James Leach, the Lancashire composer. Song, whether the word is employed to signify the poetry or the music, and whether sacred or secular, holds a prominent place amongst all civilized communities, and exerts an ameliorating influence on the lives of individuals singular to say music which is the most luxurious of the arts has a stimulating and invigorating effect on the animal spirits this is true as regards both the singer and the performer and the mere listener who at his ease enjoys the entrancing melody music is to the spirits what a breath of upland air is to the body bracing and health-giving the study and enjoyment of music are not only compatible with but are an aid to hard daily labour. In no part of England has the musical art been more cultivated, or even at the present day is music more appreciated, than in the two northern counties of Yorkshire and Lancashire. The interpretation of musical thought and expression, it is true, is now left more to the professional singer and performer, and people crowd to the concert hall to listen to the strains as rendered by the cultured exponent of musical language. In former days, the practice of music was more of a subjective pursuit. The people themselves were to a greater extent than now the exponents of the art in which they delighted. Like the woven fabrics of the time, much of their music was home-made, and nearly all their power of interpreting the compositions of the great masters was of home growth and nurture. And if in those the superficial gloss of the later day was wanting, there was generally more of verve and earnestness in the singer, and of substance in the music, with a blessed freedom from adulteration. The immediate subject of my remarks is James Leach, the Lancashire composer, and it is to psalmody, in the domain of which he was a master, that I shall speak. Deeply impressed with the rich fullness and beauty of Leach's hymn-tunes, I have collected together such particulars of the composer, his life and works, as I have been able to glean from the scanty sources that are now available. Though the facts presented are meagre, it has not been without difficulty that even these have been gathered. The hymn-tunes of an earlier time are in many respects different in character to those of today. They beget a warmer personal interest, and we enter more readily into their spirit and purpose. If they are less polished and sedate, they appeal with greater power to the intelligence, not less than to the imagination, and they touch the feelings in a higher degree. The dreary monotony of many of our modern psalm and hymn tunes is simply indescribable. Their extreme characteristic in this respect is their salvation. It almost required a touch of genius to call them into existence. They affect a prudishness that is incompatible with deep and earnest devotion. They are so cut and dried and rounded, and polished to suit phlegmatic and unemotional worshippers, that nearly everything like character is effaced from them. In short, they have been toned down with the smoothing iron of conventional taste and fastidiousness, to harmonise with the idea now taught, and with which society is largely permeated, that anything like a display of enthusiasm is a mark of ill-breeding. Perhaps it might be possible to take exception on somewhat similar grounds, to a few of the tunes of former times. To some extent that may be so, 
but even as regards the most commonplace of those that have survived the test of time there is a kindly warmth as of a living heart beating within them that quality in the highest degree i claim for the hymn tunes of james leach whose name is known to most of us though it is scarcely preserved and held in that esteem which it deserves to be the name and memory of leach should be cherished in lancashire for he was one of her gifted sons james leach was born in the year seventeen sixty two at wardle a village near to and almost a suburb of rochdale he came of humble parents and his education so far as schooling is concerned was of the scantiest possible kind he did not even enjoy the advantage of attending a sunday school in his younger years though later on as such schools began to be generally established throughout the country he took an active personal interest in them his hymn tunes and anthems were eagerly adopted and sung therein and these materially assisted in making sunday schools the success which they eventually became he was early apprenticed to the trade of hand-loom weaving which he continued to follow till well into the years of manhood it is a pleasant circumstance to note that he was the maternal uncle of the mother of our lancashire poet edwin waugh who in his roads out of manchester tells us that often when a lad he used to listen to his mother singing leech's plaintive tunes when there was nobody in the house but his little sister and himself the poet indeed in his published works often speaks of leech in kindly and endearing words in the sketches referred to he says further my mother's relatives both on the father's and mother's side were all ardent lovers of music they were all proud of their relative james leach the composer of the psalmody and i can well remember that in those days of my early youth when i accompanied my mother to her native village and we went from one house to another amongst her kinsfolk i have often heard them sing and play james leach's touching melodies with tears in their eyes i remember some of these tunes still and i think i shall never forget them whether leach ever received special instruction in the musical art is not known but it is unlikely that he did as he himself states that when he began to write his tunes he was ignorant of the rules of composition be that as it may however he was naturally gifted as a musician and he was able to cultivate his powers in this direction at the frequent meetings for musical practice of his kinsmen and neighbours in those days it was the custom of the people living in the villages and scattered over the hillsides and valleys of lancashire to meet in each other's houses by turns to practise sacred and secular music i have elsewhere described such meetings among the dane layrocks and war in his old man's memories alludes to the same pleasant custom he says my mother's relatives seem to have been almost all of them natural musicians and it was their custom to go in a body to each other's houses in turn to practise sacred music at certain set times i remember some of these musical gatherings at which i was present when i was young and as showing the musical enthusiasm that was evinced among working people in those days he remarks in reference to his grandfather william howarth who was a stonemason that after he had finished a hard day's work it was not an uncommon thing for him to stand at a tall desk in a recess by the window copying passages from the great composers until far on into the morning amongst his moorland neighbours he was reckoned a good player on more instruments than one but his favourite instrument seems to have been the oboe 
and he became familiarly known all over his neighbouring hills by the name of Billy with the Pipes. Such being the habits of the times, when men had more leisure and less distraction of mind than now, it is certain that Leach would enter into them with zest, and so by constant practice cultivate his natural gifts. He early attained proficiency as an instrumentalist, and was appointed one of the performers in the King's Band. As a vocalist he rose to distinction both as a teacher and choir leader, and as a counter-tenor singer he was prominent in the great musical festivals held in Westminster Abbey and elsewhere. But it is as a composer of psalm and hymn tunes that he best deserves to be remembered. Some of his choicest compositions were produced when he was a young man between the ages of twenty-two and twenty-seven. Of these I may specially mention Mount Pleasant, Oldham, Bethel, New Trumpet, Melody, Piscar, Sabbath, and Shepherd's Lover. In all the range of devotional tunes in existence, I venture to say that there are few finer than those I have named. A bright cluster indeed, with an originality and character all their own, full of the richest melody, and capable of elevating the soul to the highest devotional worship. Pleasant are the memories associated with these strains of James Leach, Warm, sunny recollections of days gone by come unbidden as we croon them over. So full are they of that indefinable power to cheer and compose the mind, it can only be a source of unalloyed regret that in these times of turmoil and struggle they should have been pushed aside for less enduring and more commonplace themes. Leach's first volume of Sacred Music was published in 1789. He was then twenty-seven years of age. In the preface to the volume, dated Rochdale, June ninth, 1789, he says, Having had a turn for music from my infancy, I have employed my leisure hours in cultivating the same. A few years ago I composed a few tunes, and without the least design of their being made public, being at the time ignorant of the rules of composition. These few tunes accordingly got handed about, and were introduced into many congregations, insomuch that I was called upon from all quarters for copies, so that I found myself under the disagreeable necessity of denying many requests of that kind. For having a family to maintain with my hand labour, I had already spent more time than I could well spare. But a friend of mine, knowing my importunities of that kind, and wishing the tunes to be more generally known, advised me by all means to compose a few more to some select pieces, and let a number of them be struck off as the price would be small, so that such as wished to have them might procure them at a small expense. And therefore I now submit them to the judgment of the public. I mean such as understand music. The book, the first edition of which is now very scarce, is oblong quarto of fifty-eight pages, and contains twenty-two hymn tunes and two long pieces with instrumental accompaniments. The friend to whom Leach alludes, and who gave him pecuniary assistance in bringing out his work, was Mr. James Hamilton, who, along with others, first established Sunday schools in Rochdale. Some years later, probably about 1797, he issued a second volume, larger than the first. This had been promised earlier, but as he remarks in the preface, the poverty occasioned by the present war put a check upon my design, for it is to be noted that I, like many of my brethren in the musical line, am not troubled with much wealth. 
it is evident that leach took infinite pains to perfect his melodies before they left his hands and he was jealous of any attempts on the part of others to alter or improve them against such interference he indulges in strong language he says in the same preface in my first work i requested that no one would attempt the altering of my tunes but let them run just as they are in a general way we may say of music menders what is vulgarly said of tinkers in attempting to repair one hole they often make two pedantry in every department is ridiculous and full as much in music as in any other science and often proves injurious to the original composer i have seen excellent tunes so mangled and disfigured by self-conceited improvers that they have left them like the man who fell among thieves stripped and wounded even half dead i would here particularly remark that the old hundredth psalm tune has latterly undergone a metamorphosis of this sort which has left it neither spirit nor life if a man is capable of improving the work of another he is certainly capable of composing himself and if so let him build upon his own ground and if there be any merit in his work let him wear the honour the second volume consists of sixty-nine pages in oblong quarter like the other and contains forty-eight tunes and three longer pieces in this volume are included the well-known melodies redemption smyrna st john Afek, pastoral harmony peru and others equally meritorious i am not aware that anything further of leech's was published during his lifetime save a second edition of the first volume shortly after the issue of his first book he relinquished his trade of handloom weaving and devoted himself to the profession of music as a teacher singer and composer in the town of rochdale about the year seventeen ninety five or seventeen ninety six he removed with his family to salford as affording a more extended sphere for his talents and here he remained down to the time of his death this melancholy event occurred on thursday evening february the eighth seventeen ninety eight he being only thirty-six years of age in the full plenitude of his powers and rising rapidly into fame the leeds coach in which he was a passenger from rochdale on his way to manchester was overturned when about half-way down entwistle brow near to the village of blakely and leach was thrown from it and killed the following notice of the accident appears in the manchester mercury of tuesday february thirteenth seventeen ninety eight on thursday evening mr james leach of salford musician was killed by the overturning of a chaise caused by a wheel coming suddenly off he has left a large family to lament his loss after his death an edition of the volume containing the second set of tunes was published in which an advertisement appears stating that the sudden death of mr leach had reduced his family to very necessitous circumstances announcing the names of a committee of gentlemen who had undertaken the publication of his manuscript tunes and anthems for the benefit of his widow and children and soliciting subscribers thereto leach was buried in the graveyard of union street wesleyan chapel rochdale and the stone which marks the spot is surmounted by his well-known short metre tune egypt in g minor his set pieces and anthems were collected together and issued in twelve parts making a volume of two hundred and fifty six pages oblong folio 
various editions of his work were afterwards printed in this country and in the united states and in most of the collections of sacred music issued within the present century the hymn tunes of leach hold a prominent place many of them have attained the widest and most deserved popularity and to this day are prized by all who can appreciate and enjoy genuine melody strange to say however some of the very finest of his tunes are not included in other collections and are therefore almost unknown to the present generation the americans have perhaps shown more appreciation of leach than his own countrymen in an interesting letter in the musical times of first april eighteen seventy eight the writer who signs himself g a c states that in the bridgewater collection of sacred music first edition printed in boston in eighteen o two a hampton wilderness bridgewater fountain hamilton morning flower and sepulchre and in a book called david companion or the methodist standard the compilation of which was ordered by the general conference at baltimore may twenty sixth eighteen o eight and which was registered as copyright july twenty eighth eighteen ten are forty-eight pieces of music by james leach from that time forward leach's tunes were included in most of the american collections some of his anthems of which he composed no fewer than thirty-three many of them with accompaniments for the horn cornet oboe violin violoncello and organ are of great excellence and power of these i may specially name crucifixion set to the hymn when i survey the wondrous cross nativity lift up your heads in joyful hope canaan happy beyond description he footnote this was the first anthem composed by leach and it was said by a fellow passenger on the coach that he was humming over this air when the accident by which he met his untimely death occurred animation begin the high celestial strain emmanuel burst ye emerald gates many of the choruses to the others are full of striking originality and resource taken as a whole however it may be admitted that they are not equal in merit to his hymn tunes this is largely due to the circumstance that owing to his early and sudden death they had not received the finishing touches which would undoubtedly have been given to them had the composer's life been longer spared in the work of mr thomas hurst on the music of the church there is a generous estimate of leach's genius which i venture to quote from so capable an authority and that the present sketch may be the more complete hurst says there is in the character of his music an identity as painters would say a keeping in the likeness that is in principle not in detail in the superintending spirit of the theme not in the themes themselves for in this aspect few writers present greater variety than he within the prescribed limits of psalmody but whether you turn to the solemnly impressive strains of complaint jonas egypt and shields or plume yourselves to accompany him in rochdale syria or redemption in their more free and dignified evolutions or unite in the airy and buoyant trippings of cyprus and orpheus you feel the presence of leach in the unity of his commanding genius his imagination is not so bold adventurous and startling as is that of some other first-rate composers but this is counterbalanced by an addition of judgment which gives strength to the pinions of his imagination and makes his flight more secure 
and his return more certain. In him the different parts of the tune come to a friendly close without the fear of each accusing the other of wandering too far from the melody of the theme. In his lighter effusions there is nothing of dash, of prettiness, of frivolity for the purpose of courting applause from the low or vitiated tastes, and in his funeral specimens he does not sink into twaddle and unmeaning and affected croakings. To say that in all Christian assemblies where devotion breaks forth in praise, Leach's tunes are worthy of a place, would be only asserting the fact, the proof of which is heard in the various and extreme parts of the militant church. The day is very distant when the strains of Leach will cease to stimulate the pleasures of devotion. And it is finally remarked elsewhere, as quoted by War, that he was a man of susceptible spirit and creative mind, his style of melody is quaint and original. The general character of his tunes is that of plaintiveness and melancholy. They abound in phrases which show a keen sense of the emotional in man's nature, whether in the expression of pleasurable or painful feelings. Who, having an acquaintance with Leach's music, will deny that much of the genius of his kinsman has descended to the sweet singer of our own time? Like the songs of the Lancashire poet, there is a force and directness, and withal a tenderness, in Leach's tunes that come home to the heart with a freshness which inspires and cheers. Fashion in music changes like fashion in dress, and other matters. We do not complain of this, so long as the later fashions are equal or superior, in beauty and symmetry of form, to those which they have for the time being displaced. It may be said, and doubtless with truth, that some of Leach's tunes are unsuited to the taste of the aesthetic, falsely so-called, worshippers of today, and the repetition of the lines in a few of them is a blemish not to be tolerated. To those with the old-fashioned and less sophisticated tastes, however, that is one of their strong recommendations. In Leach's music there is nothing random or haphazard. Each note is perfectly placed and could not be altered without jeopardising the whole strain. This proves the power of the composer. He keeps his theme well in hand, and thus every note strikes home to the intelligence as well as to the heart. The tunes of Leach are as much a work of art as a beautiful statue produced by the cunning hand of a master. They are as much a work of nature as a flowing stream, or a quiet lake, or a deep glen embosomed in the eternal hills and they equally fill the soul with tremulous delight and satisfying gladness. There is, besides, a wonderful variety in his compositions. Some of them are full of animation, others again are as sedate as patience on her monument. Pleasurable as it is to listen to them, they must be sung to be thoroughly enjoyed, and they require singing. A sleepy, listless manner in the singer is inadmissible, but indeed it is also impossible. The attitude must be erect, the shoulders thrown back, and the chest expanded to do justice to their many excellences, and develop their subtle beauties. Those who are acquainted with Redemption, St. John, and Pastoral, will admit the truth of this remark. What a billowy role there is in these three noble melodies, with a power as of a mighty choir enshrined within them. His tunes in the minor key, are unequalled in their strain of plaintive resignation and tenderness. To listen to them is to realise the spirit of the later autumnal winds, 
as they murmur through the denuded boughs of the forest. It will be a sad day for English musical taste when we slight the sterling qualities of Leach's psalmody, or are ashamed to confess the noble passion begotten of his strain. Leach, in his brief lifetime, accomplished a work that deserves a monument. The place of his birth and of his resting place might well commemorate the man and his genius in this way, and such a display of public spirit would be honourable to its citizens. Lancashire has good reason to be proud of her sons, and James Leach is one of them. And although no animated bust preserves his lineaments to our human sight, in his music his spirit dwells among us to this hour. End of chapter 6